going to give back to God from all that he has given to us as the ushers come.
Our scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Romans, chapter 14. Accept the one whose faith is weak, without quarreling over disputable matters. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall, and they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. One person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord, for they give thanks to God. And whoever abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives for ourselves alone, and none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord. And if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life, so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. You then, why do you judge your brother and sister? Or why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, As surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me. Every tongue will acknowledge God. So then, each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put a stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. I am convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person it is unclean. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not, by your eating, destroy someone for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let what you know is good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it is wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. So whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if they eat, because their eating is not from faith. And everything that does not come from faith is sin. This is the word of the Lord. invite you to uh, stand and uh, share a word of greeting, a word of peace with others who are here in worship today.
So this handshaking greeting thing we just did is more than just a chance to talk to each other, though that's important. But this morning I want to remind us that, that doing this helps us remember that the church, or should I say it again, that being a follower of Christ, being a disciple, is more than just me and Jesus. It's about the church. It's about all of us. And the fact that the church is important to our faith, central to our faith, imperative to our faith, is both a blessing and a curse. I mean, it's a blessing because we have each other as a means of support and encouragement. We, we come together and, and we see other folks. We get to know each other. We build relationships. And those relationships are so valuable to our lives. And we give thanks for that. It's also a struggle because if we're all going to be together, we've got to figure out a way to get along with each other. And because you're not perfect, that makes it hard for me to get along with you. We should reverse that because I'm not perfect. It makes it hard for you to get along with me. You know, and the, the history of the church could be told as the story of people whose motto is divide and conquer. You know, we the church has had so many splits over all kinds of things. And, and Duran, some of those things were deeply theological. Some of those the splits that the church had needed to happen because there was wrong theology, core theology that was being taught and it needed to be corrected. But a lot of the reasons for churches to divide doesn't have anything to do with core theology. It has to do with preferences, what John Wesley called opinions. It's not really about doctrine. It's about my perspective of what it means to be a Christian and your perspective about what it means to be a Christian and my perspective of what it means to, to live out my faith and your perspective of what it means to live out your faith. And we can get so enamored with that stuff that we, we say... Your view is so wrong, I can't handle that. And churches, churches have split over all kinds of crazy things through the years. I mean, there, there's churches that practice foot washing on a regular basis. And, and there's been a split years and years ago about, do you wash the right foot first or the left foot first? Baptism. There are churches that feel so strongly that when you baptize someone... Not just about the different ways you baptize them in terms of sprinkling or immersion, things pouring. But when you immerse them, you can't just immerse them once. You have to immerse them three times. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And if you don't do it three times, you're not just different. You're wrong. And we can't be in fellowship with each other if you're going to do that. I knew of a church years ago that built a really nice new fellowship hall with a state-of-the-art kitchen. I mean, this place was amazing. And it was a great place for them to gather, to have meals, to you know, fellowship together. The problem was there was a large segment of the church that did not think it was appropriate and right to cook and eat in the church building. And, so, and, and they carried that with them in their worship. And so you had this side of the church were kitchen users and this side of the church were kitchen refusers. And, and they were divided down the line about that. And it was creating great problems for them. And I, and I wanted to say to them, really? This is what you want to fight about? And I didn't say that to them because as I was thinking about that, I was remembering things that I was pretty dogmatic about that 
might fit in similar categories. It's the struggle of the human condition. We want to believe that we know best, we're right, they're wrong, and we want them to know that. And it's not something that's just started. It's been going on a long, long time. In fact, it seems to be at the heart of what Paul's writing here in Romans 14. You have Gentiles and Jews who have come together in the church, and it's awesome. How terrible it would have been to say, we're going to be a Jewish Christian church, and we're going to be a Gentile Christian church, and we can't get along, we can't be in the same place. It wouldn't really be the church. And so they're together, but being together creates some conflict. And a lot of it has to do with food. What kind of food you're allowed to eat and what kind of food you're not allowed to eat. And of course, for the Jews, they have all these dietary laws from the Old Testament. And, and we read that and we think, well, that was great for that time, but why are you hanging on to that so much? Because those laws were determined whether you were really a follower of Yahweh or not. If you didn't follow the rules that Yahweh set up, how could you possibly be a real follower of Yahweh? Those rules identified you as a follower of Yahweh or not. And so for them to bring that into the church and saying, look, if you, you know, we believe there's one God. And yes, he revealed himself in Christ and the, and, and the Holy Spirit and, and the three persons of the Trinity, but it's still the same God. And this God who said, there are rules about what you can eat and you can't eat, it still matters. And if you're not following those, how can you truly be a follower of God? It's causing division. Because the Gentiles were saying, we didn't grow up with that stuff. That didn't mean anything to us. Why should we care about those laws? It doesn't matter. And then you have the other side of it, the Gentiles who grew up going to the pagan temples. And they made sacrifices, just like the Jews did. And, and they sacrificed meat. And they bring the meat into, into the temple. And they, when they sacrificed it, they would then cut some of it off for the priest. And the rest of it, they'd sell to merchants in, in the marketplace. And the merchants would then sell it to other people. And the Gentiles who grew up going to the temple, sacrificing the meat, felt really uncomfortable about eating that meat. Because it's been sacrificed to idols. And other people, probably including many of the Jews, though others as well, maybe who grew up in an environment where they didn't do that, are saying, it's just, it's just idols aren't really anything. It doesn't matter. You can eat whatever you want to. Christ has set us free. But it was hard for them. And so what were they doing? Well, a lot of the people were saying, we're just going to eat vegetables. Because vegetables, you don't sacrifice vegetables. There's no law about a broccoli sacrifice. Nowhere in the scriptures. There is no such thing. Vegetables are free. You, know, it doesn't, you don't get confused about that. You don't sacrifice broccoli to idols, you know. And so let's eat vegetables. And, and that way we're sure we're not getting the wrong kind of meat. And Paul's saying, okay, that's fine. If that works for you, but don't make that the rule for everybody else. Just because God has spoken to you about this doesn't mean he's spoken to everybody else about it. So you think about things in your life. Think about something that's important to you. It's not a core doctrine, but it's important to you. And remember how easy it is to think. Everybody else should think the same way. Everybody ought to have the same theological perspective about a lot of the peripheral issues. Everyone ought to do worship a certain way. Everyone ought to, ought to think about how you interpret the scriptures a certain way. And how easy it is for us 
to not just have that be our opinion among others, but to be dogmatic about it and to allow it to cause division in the church. And Paul says the biggest problem here is that you have Christians who haven't been Christians very long, they're not real mature in the faith, and you're creating a stumbling block for them. They're trying to they're trying to move forward in Christ, and you keep putting these barriers in their way, and they keep tripping over them. And eventually, they're going to say, I don't want to have anything to do with this anymore. In fact, he says, you're creating an atmosphere of ruin for them. And that word ruin really means destruction, corruption. It's the word that's used to describe a, a disease that gets into our bodies. It's, it describes uh, rotting in wood. It describes rust in iron. It's the word that's used to, that, to describe what Herod wants to do to the baby Jesus. It's the word that Jesus uses to describe the lost coin and the lost sheep. These are things that are in a pathway of destruction. In fact, in Revelation, a form of that word is used to describe Satan, the great destroyer. And Paul is saying, you are leading people to a life of destruction and away from Christ because you are being so dogmatic about things that are peripheral. And it's okay that, you're, that you feel strongly about them for yourself. Just don't make everyone else think the way you do. Stop arguing about it. And it, the destruction isn't just for those people. It's for us too. You notice in the middle part of this passage, he talks about judgment. And he says, look, we're all going to stand judgment before God. And I'm convinced if our hearts are so cold and stony that we look at other people and can't... It can't be uh, patient with them and, and, and give up some of our dogmatic views because it's bad for them, then something's wrong with our hearts. And we're facing judgment. And it's bad for the whole church. He says in verse 20, don't tear apart the church with your attitude and your spirit. And that's exactly what happens. It creates divisiveness. And I can't tell you how many times people have come to me and said... Especially when you, you move to a new place, you talk to people in a place that you don't know, and they'll say to you, you know, that church has a really bad reputation. I'll say, well, why? They say, because they're always fighting with each other. And everybody knows. And people don't want to have anything to do with them. And you wonder why people don't want to hear about Jesus from us. Because they look at us and say, I can get that kind of stuff at work. I can get that kind of stuff down at the lodge. I can get that kind of stuff anywhere. I thought the church was different. A witness. See, the the issue is we sometimes believe that being proven right is more important than our witness. It's hard, especially when we know we're right. Right? Of course we're right. And I want everybody to know we're right. But if people know we're right and they can't stand to be around us, what have we gained? What have we really accomplished? It's not about being proven right as much as we want to be proven right. It's about relationships and witness and our attitude. That's what the kingdom is about. I can't tell you how many times, you just stop for a second, you read the Gospels sometime, and just think how many times you know Jesus is right, but he doesn't try to prove it to people. 
over and over and over again. You see that? He's the only person who's always been right about everything. And how many times, including the cross, does Jesus not try to prove he's right? He just loves. Because he's more interested in people coming into the kingdom than about being proven right. And I think that's a lot of our struggle. That we're more interested in in saying what we want to say and trying to convince people to our position than we are about what people need. When I was studying with Haddon Robinson, a great preaching professor, one of the things he said to us is you ought to approach every sermon and ask a lot of questions, but you should ask, at least ask this question. What do people need to hear, not what do I want to say? And it's not the same thing. Because there are a lot of times where things that I really want to say, it's not the right time, it's not the right way, it's not the right attitude. And what he's really saying is what Paul is saying. Think about what will make people most open to Christ. What will help people along their journey with Christ? And often it's not proving we're right, it's not saying what we want to say, but it's thinking more about them than about us. Because in the end, isn't it better for people to, to be moving forward in their relationship with Christ and have no idea that we think we're right? Than them realizing, getting the idea that surely the message, we're right, and it causing them to move away from Christ? And that's the danger. And that's our struggle. I think that I think that it comes down to being willing to live in the complexity and the messiness of the church. It's, it's pretty easy to live in a group of people where everyone thinks the same, acts the same, has the same perspective. I mean, it's not all that complicated to get along. Now, we'll still find ways to not get along, but it's easier, right? And if you have a church where everybody thinks the same way, everybody feels the same way, everybody sees things the same way, a couple of things are going to be true. One is you never get challenged, and it's probably going to be a really small church. And even then, we argue with ourselves about stuff, right? There is something about other people who have different perspectives about peripheral, not core issues, but peripheral issues that challenge us and make us think and maybe even are a word from God to us sometimes. But it's messy and it's complex and it's challenging. And the point of the church is not how can I control that, it's how can I wade into the middle of it and let God be God. To wade into the middle of all the complexity and the messiness and not try to clean it all up, but to try to learn and grow and develop and be an influence on people just as we want people to be an influence on us. That's the church, being the church. And that's going to take patience and kindness and gentleness and humility. 
It's going to mean that my opinion doesn't always have to be the one everyone listens to. And that's okay. Because we're about bigger things than just my opinion. What we're really talking about is what Paul says in verse 15, that we are to walk in love, act in love. We're to love like Christ. And if we decide that we want our lives to be defined by the love of Christ, then that means we will embrace the most loving thing God does for us in Christ, and that's the cross. We will embrace the mindset of Christ, who though he has every, every authority to exert his power and his knowledge and his perfectness, instead goes to a cross. What I'm really thinking about is that we have a vision of the cross, but not a vision of looking at the cross, but a vision of looking from the cross. Because I think of Jesus hanging on the cross and the mocking, and really what they're saying is, Jesus, we want you to prove to us that you are right and we're wrong. And he doesn't. Because ultimately, it is in the best interest of every single person who's ever lived for him to just stay there. To be misunderstood, to be misinterpreted. Because there are bigger things going on here. And you and I are called to take up our cross and follow him. And when we take up our cross, we decide that we want a vision of each other from the cross. And that means we don't have to always be seen as right. We don't have to prove to people that we're right. We want people to come to Jesus. We want people to draw close to Jesus. And if that will happen most effectively by us being misunderstood and not being thought of as right, then okay. That's okay. The other thing about the cross is that we always have to remember is that anything good in us, anything we've discovered, anything we've learned, anything that, that's happened in our lives that's positive and productive and spiritually mature is because of Jesus. It's because of the grace of God in Christ. Not because we're so special or because we've done something so great. And the ground of the cross is level. All of us need the cross. It's forgetting that. That leads to arrogance and divisiveness and this passion that everybody knows we are right. And a skewed perspective of what it means to be the church. And the same thing is true of this table. You know, we we come to this table not because we've figured out everything. Not because we finally have, have come to the place where we understand all that we need to understand. And we've finally gotten to the place where we're right about everything. And so now we're worthy to come. This is about the grace of God in Christ. And we come to this table not because we deserve it, because we don't. 
But it's because God is good. He's offered us His grace. And we have simply said, I want to live in that grace. And in that grace, I want to be the kind of witness. And we want to be the kind of church that draws people to Christ instead of pushes them away. I suspect that there's something, someone, a circumstance, an ideology, an opinion that you feel so strongly about that it's really hard to give anybody else the freedom to think differently. In this moment of silence, let us think about that. Let God speak to us about that. And then we're going to pray together. And when we pray together, maybe this morning, you, you want to come and kneel at the altar rail. You just want to come and, and, and bow before God and surrender that to Him and to release that to Him. And you can do that in your seat as well. But I know He's calling every one of us to think more about others than about ourselves. To take up our cross follow Christ. As we continue in this spirit of prayer, if you'd like to come to the altar rail and offer your prayers here, I invite you to join me. Father, thank you for the cross your grace to us. Forgive us that we so often are thinking more about ourselves than others. And we, we fight about things that we don't need to. Set us free from the burden of proving ourselves and always having to be right. Make us people who draw others to you rather than folks who are stumbling blocks. Father, this morning we, we come to this moment of prayer and we pray your grace not only upon us but upon all who are struggling with life today. Think about people who are grieving and we especially think of Albert Sadler's family. Comfort them, encourage them. We pray for all to stay who feel the pain and the sorrow of loss. 
Minister your spirit into every heart and soul. We pray that you'll heal all our diseases through the grace and power of who you are. Give hope and courage and healing, strength to Bob Joe Bear and Rich Reynolds, to Calvin Buker, Warren Woolsey, to Bill Getty, Bill Muker, Mike Raybuck, Jill Tyson, Rich Brenneman, Everett, Micah Christensen, Linda Roth, Dick Gould, Crystal Blake, Emily Cricklar, and others who may be on our hearts today. We thank you for the ministries of this church. And this morning, we especially want to thank you for our library and all the people who make the library and work there and create such a welcome space and to learn and to experience you. We pray that the, the ministry of the library will continue to reach beyond the doors of this church. We pray, Father, for the churches around us. And this morning we pray for St. Mark's Roman Catholic Church in Rushford. And Father Dennis, who leads them, pour out your spirit upon this congregation. They will continue to be light in their community and beyond. Father, we pray for our world. We pray for the refugees in this world. And particularly, we think about the situation in Greece. Refugees are being stranded. We pray, Father, for people who live everywhere with epidemics and disasters and and uncertainty about the next meal and the next drink of water, a safe place to sleep for the night. Bring an end to the suffering and the struggle of so many and make us particularly sensitive to their needs. And even though they don't affect us directly so often, Lord, give us a passion for people in need because it's your heart. Father, we thank you for the Seldons and their work in Haiti. And as they struggle to adjust and family issues, we pray that you would, you would give them strength and wisdom and, and healing. And we pray, Father, for our brothers and sisters in India. There are... 70 million Christians in India, and yet they face such great opposition and persecution, and even the threat of eliminating all Christians in the next five years. We pray for your protection, your grace, courage, and your love. Father, we thank you for giving us the grace to trust you and to surrender to you. And we offer these prayers, all of them, through the mercy and the love and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose cross we have salvation and hope and life. Amen. Father, we pray your divine abundance, blessing upon these elements today. May they be bread food and drink to our souls through the grace of Jesus. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. He gave thanks to the Father in heaven and then he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples saying, take, eat. 
This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And on the same night he took the cup. Again he gave thanks to the Father in heaven and gave it to his disciples saying drink from this all of you. For this is my blood of the new covenant which is shed for your sins and the sins of all people. Every time you do this, do it in remembrance of me. We're receiving communion this morning by the mode of intention. just means to dip in. So as you're released by rose, come to the front, tear off a piece of bread, dip it into the cup, eat it. And then you may return to your seat by the outside aisles. The altar rail is always open if you'd like to stay and pray. If coming to the front is difficult for you, we have trays of bread and cups. Happy to serve you in your seat. Just let the usher know as your row is released. And I also have gluten-free wafers here and cups. And just let me know if you would like those as you come forward. I always like to mention that we practice open communion at the Wesleyan Church. Maybe the first time you've ever worshipped here. But if you come today with, with your heart open to the grace of God in Christ and and your desire is to live in that grace and come and receive these gifts from our gracious, loving, Heavenly Father.
receive the benediction. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. Amen. Thank you.